0: OK, so we are going to start today with a, a quick backup. I want to set some context for looking at what we're going to be looking at. And um, there was just an overwhelming amount of information that we did, a lot of charts, a lot of you know list making, and word studies, and so forth. Um, In the end, I decided I think the best way for us to go through this is to simply go through 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 and outline those chapters. And that way what we can do is paragraph by paragraph we can talk, we can um, expository teaching basically is what it's going to be it's just like a pastor just goes usually word by word but we're going to do paragraph by paragraph we're going to outline those two and get a nice flow of thought and i think that will help us to see the uh the intent of the things that are being discussed and what was going on and why he had to address these things so we're going to start by doing a very quick review of uh, first corinthians because we did first corinthians not very long ago and So majority of you in here did do it with us for the rest of you just follow along and kind of take notes because um, I do think that this Backdrop is going to help you in understanding what we're looking at here in in 14 First Corinthians 14. Okay, so first Corinthians the book on the whole who remembers? What the issues were or what the, the author's main purpose was in first Corinthians? Why was Paul writing to them? Yeah, there you go. There's division in the body, and there was all kinds of problems, right? This was a church that, quite honestly, was a great big mess. Really, they had every kind of issue that any church can have over the course of its entire life. You might have, you know, some of these things pop up occasionally, but this one had. It seemed to me like had them all going on at one time. Um, so it it was just it was really a mess. So it's basically. Um, it was a letter of a purpose was for instruction and either you can say rebuke or correction right I, either way if you understand that what he's doing in this letter is correcting things that they're doing wrong it really does help you a lot to understand what we're looking at in Uh, chapters 12 13 and 14 when we address our subject matter now um, in the flow of thought what I want you to have down is this verses 11 to 14 are one um, division segment division I'm not going to write it down for you, but basically what we have seen him address so far, he started in 1 to 4 and discussed the divisions that were uh, going on in the church because of men following men rather than their focus being upon Christ himself, right? And then in 5 and 6, he talked about the believer's duty to judge in the church, to make judgments, which is interesting in itself because so often that's one of the things you hear people say, is, well, you shouldn't judge others. Well, yes, in the household of faith, We need to be making judgments about what's right and what's wrong and so he addresses that in five and six he talks about removing an immoral brother and um how the righteous are to judge matters concerning this life so it talked about people suing one another and going to court and all that right and he talked about how that's wrong you need to do that within the household of faith not to be taking one another to court now so that was a really big problem because if you think about the the world this is a brand new religion christianity in that it's now a new covenant it's an old religion if you include judaism in it And i I do in my thinking i believe that it's been around from the very beginning right but christianity from the perspective of a new covenant in christ being the fulfillment of what the old promised it was brand new and so they were establishing new things certainly the structuring of their the way their body functioned was very different from the old system of the temple correct i mean the temple was all about works it was all about sacrifices and in the in the new now we were living out morally before the world what the transformed heart is to look like and in this church they weren't doing that that was it was just a disaster so uh then in seven and eight he talked about marriage and singleness right basically keeping God's commandments for the time is short which i think is funny that was 2000 years ago right <laughs> but it's so true then 8 to 10 he talks about love edifies and we're not to give an offense to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not to the world either for that matter don't let your liberty be a stumbling block right um uh, you have rights, but you're to exercise self-control. You're to flee from evil things and seek good for all men. So this was what was going on in the church at that time. Is just, you know, the lack of love. So it's interesting to me how he addressed love in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And then where does he again emphasize love? In 13, right? In the middle of this next segment. So now we're in the segment division of eleven to fourteen, and what he's addressing here is division in church assembly. Now, does that help you at all when you think back of what we looked at remember in chapter eleven um And it it flows into where we hit here in chapter 14 again, too, because in 14, he brings it back up again. But in 11, the first thing he he covers in that first segment of chapter 11 is about those women who were contentious right and they were they were not doing what was proper and he's instructing they need to do what's proper and so there you get introduced to these women who at that point were not wanting to have a covering over them in their worship service now remember this is in the in church assembly so don't forget that we're talking about in church assembly how what the behavior is supposed to be like, and back in chapter eleven the first thing he addressed was women who were not being orderly in the assembly, they were and to not have a covering. Do you guys remember what not having a covering really meant? It it did not mean having a scarf over the head. What did it actually mean? Who is our covering? Christ. And then in the um, Order of things in our life, in our daily lives is what? Husband and then us, right? Or a man of some kind in when you're talking about in the church assembly, correct? So we talked about this before, where we had this house. We have Christ up here. Christ is the head of it all. Then you have your leader, who, I'm going to put it this way. it's your pastor because that's more common to us. And then here's the gifted, right? So that's kind of the order, and this is how who our head is. And so this right here, your pastor, is your covering. In marriage, it's, it's the man and then the woman. And do you remember why? What do we go back to when we look at the order that God designed for, designed function? Yes? Yes. Okay. So that was one of the qualities that God placed Adam in, and that was he was to be a provider. Do you know what the other ones are? Protector and priest. That's right, priest. Well, it's close. Priest. He's the spiritual leader. Okay? And so by what happened in the Garden of Eden then when Eve disobeyed, right, when she fell victim, was what did she do in that whole scenario was she following her spiritual leader who was her spiritual leader A- adam and then she yes she she went and she was d- deceived when we read those passages that we've been looking at in various places what we see is the the reason that this design order is placed back into the church is because and the emphasis that they place on it is there's design order and when women uh, fall out of the design order um, then things generally become a big mess. And what God says is look, there's a design order. I put the man over the woman. There's a picture in that, right, of Christ in his church. And um, the woman was deceived. She was the one who was deceived. But she was deceived because, for one thing, she was never intended to be the spiritual leader in her home. The man was because of, of the picture, okay? It doesn't demean us as women, it doesn't make us less right it just simply is our design place and just like a man can't have a baby that doesn't make him less what kind of wish they could sometimes just so they have that experience right <laughs> but their their place is to be the provider the protector and the priest so that is what we're talking about now there is division in the church the first thing in chapter 11 is these disorderly women who would not cover them their heads and that's talking about the headship OK, of the man over them. And so what that shows is a rebelliousness. That's really all that boils down to. You see rebellion in women like this. And apparently the rebellion was intense enough that it was causing disruption in the church assembly. OK, are you following? All right. Then the next thing we looked at was the Lord's Supper. And remember, again, there was disorder. What were they doing in the way that they took the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Some were getting sunk, drunk while others were what? starving or going hungry or without and what is the function for the lord's supper to begin with is it to go and just get full no it was symbolic right the lord's supper was there as a symbolic picture of christ's death burial and resurrection right he was it was to to recall for us to recall what christ did for us right okay so Division in the church assembly, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 on the whole. So after we get through 11 and we address those contentious women and we address the problems they were doing with the Lord's Supper, the next thing is 12. And so what's in 12? Spiritual gifts. Yes, for the common good. And so what does this tell you about the subject of of spiritual gifts in these three chapters? Well, there's a problem, right? It's in church assembly that we're addressing it, okay? So that when you look at it, don't forget it's in the church. Now, how many of you, when you did your observation worksheet, um, how many of you marked in the church or church on your observation worksheet? If you didn't, I really recommend you do that. Go back and mark that because that's going to help you to really catch the fact that we're talking about it, how this is supposed to be handled in the church. Okay, let me just point them out to you, some of them. Um, so in verse four, it's it's talking about edifying the church, right? In five, it says, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So it's talking about the use of, of a gift in the church. If you go on then to, um, and hopefully I got most of them, in 12, again, edification of the church, right? The one I really like is verse 23, though, because it's really clever. There's other ones in there. I'm skipping them now. But verse 23, it says, therefore, if the whole church assembles together. So now do you catch that it's talking about in church assembly? This is talking about when you're in a church service. So now your mindset's a little different, isn't it, about why some of these things are having to be uh, laid out as as a sense of order and propriety and kindness towards one another, respect for the leadership that's, you know, in that church situation. Okay, so that kind of gives you that context right there. Now, the next part of the context, spiritual gifts, I'm going to put on here, use in... Church Assembly. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you did any background research about Corinth on the whole, about the subject matter of who they are? Because I know we've talked about it before, but do you have any insights at all that you could share concerning what you know about the city of Corinth and what these people were being influenced by? what's what's what country are we speaking of corinth greece, greece. yeah greece yeah not italy it's okay <laughs> under the roman empire true. well okay that is so true good girl <laughs> yeah okay so it's greece and it's um what do we know about greece Lots of paganism, lots of false god. Yes. Okay. So basically, let me just read to you some of my insights since you guys are so quiet on this subject. It wasn't in your homework though, so I I don't blame blame you for that. Okay. First thing, what you need to know is the majority of the population was Greek, but a large number of Roman military li- veterans lived there, and there was a sprinkling also of Phoenicians and Phrygians. Okay. Um, concerning the religious background, I've got a lot on here. I'm skipping tons of it. I'm just giving you the highlights. Um, concerning religious influences in Corinth, you could find the cults of the gods of Egypt, Rome, and Greece to include Hellenistic mystery religions and Gnostic influences. Now we know this in particular because first, first John itself was written to combat that also, um, Colossians was Uh, did the mystic part of that right so these other religions were influenced in a a great enough way that we have in particular two books that most seriously address those problem religions and counter them right by giving what's true concerning the gospel in contrast to them Um, the church in this hub of pagan perversity was in grave trouble the church abandoned in uh, non-biblical and immoral practices oh abounded sorry not abandoned i thought that doesn't make sense (laughs) abounded in non-biblical and immoral practices people had turned from thought to experience are y'all hearing that? And this is exactly what they were, were, were working off of in the way that they were trying to handle the church. So all those problems that we just went through, a lot of them came because of the pagan influence that they came out of. And this was their world. This is where they were living. It's, you know, it's what they were influenced by. And so uh, when you come into faith, do you find that you miraculously, all your bad habits and all your bad ways of thinking just disappear? I wish I do wish because if we could do it that way, man it would be so much easier but sanctification is a process and and for some of us we hang on to things for a long time some of the old the old influences that that we have from growing up from experiences that in, that influence us in a great in a great way so people have turned from thought to experience as the basis of religion from rational contact. To emer- uh, emotional yearning, they just wanted. They do we see that today? People just want to get excited. They want, you know, I, you know, the, they come into worship service and they're singing the songs and they're dancing all around. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but I am saying that for some people, that's all it is. They just want to get bouncy because it makes them feel good, right? And they're missing the the sincerity of the Word of God, the 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 quiet, gentle voice of God, the the instruction, the 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 rebuking, the correcting, all those qualities. They don't want that. They don't want a fire and brimstone sermon. They want to hear things that make them feel good. Okay, now here's a couple of things. I just I'm going to read these to you. One is about the Temple of Apollo. It served as a as a reminder of Cor- Corinth's ancient splendor, it was over 700 years old by Paul's time. Think about that, 700 years of influence of Apollos. Okay, uh, but religious ecstasy, particularly glossalia, that was one of our words, right? Our, our word studies. <laughs> it's found in the mystery religion, religions of the region of Apollo, of that religion of Apollos so already right away you can see that they've had 700 years of influence of speaking in tongues by a false pagan god worship so keep that in mind uh the temple of aphrodite the goddess of love stood in the su- at the summit of corinth it had fallen into ruins by t- paul's time <clears throat> but successors to its one thousand cult prostitutes continued to ply their profession in the city below the last one was a god shrine dedicated to ask Lipios, a-s-k-l-e-p-i-o-s he was the god of healing i'm sorry i'm having i'm choking i do <clears throat> having a hard time getting my throat cleared i think i'm getting an infection again i hate to say that you guys start praying for me please In Corinth, there was a shrine dedicated to Asclepios, the god of healing, and his daughter Hygiena. The museum at Corinth has hundreds of terracotta votive offerings and thanksgiving offerings uh, presented to that god. In a time modern tradition, uh, petitioners to Asclepios had uh, dedicated replicas of the particular parts of the body in which they were afflicted so like if, if their their God had healed a hand or a foot or an ear or other private parts they would make these casts of them in stone or in pottery and they would get put them on display in their offering time to these things that they' at the shrines these clay copies of human body parts were hung around the temple by worshipers and they may have given special power to Paul's image of the church as the body of Christ so they're talking about that may have also influenced Paul's use of this, that particular subject. So you can see how Paul had a lot of fodder to work with. Right? These people really were uh, were their minds, it had to be really tough. I mean, to come in and to have this complete new concept, you know, you and I, we grew up with Christianity and its influences in our nation all the way back for, for us over 200 years, right? they had thousand two thousand years or whatever of all these other things 700 years with one of the gods apollo all right so that was their the history on this they are pagan they have already been influenced by speaking in tongues they've already had issues concerning um this a static kind of worship i remember when we were living in turkey you guys all have heard of the whirling dervishes right and so i remember studying up on it. i never went to see them because i was really leery of getting anywhere close to anything that i knew was that kind of pagan thing that was going on i knew it wasn't of god but they would start with a sway right to to the music or whatever and then they'd start slowly doing this turning and then pretty soon they're in this whirl 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 and they and they had these big skirts and they flow it's actually kind of pretty to watch but it's the concept is to get themselves in in energized and into this ecstatic um mindset and also clearing their mind of everything and this is a danger of anything where you're not using the mind did you notice in first corinthians 14 where paul kept saying i would rather use the mind don't go to emptiness in your mind because that's a dangerous state transcendental meditation right remember those days sitting with the legs crossed we talked about this yesterday in church uh you know some of us can't get on the floor anymore and cross our legs (laughs) and get up again (laughs) right so they would cross the legs and they would sit and they would do the, the little hands and the closing of the eyes and they'd start with a hum, right? And try to get their minds emptied. Dangerous, dangerous practices as far as spiritual relationship with God is concerned. Because God has never said to you and I that we are to relate to him or with him with an emptiness of mind, Right? rather it's to be done in sobriety and in seriousness and it's to be transformed by the renewing of your mind right okay so there's the contrast and what a contrast that is between corinth and where they were coming out of the things that were influencing them now if you wanted to do some research i mean i i got pages and pages this one was very interesting it covered tongues and the mystery religions of Corinth. It's 10 pages long. It's just one of my articles. But oh my gosh, it was loaded with all kinds of points that come to me. It feels like I was just you know reading what he was saying in First Corinthians 14 all over again. So if you wanted to Google uh, these mystical religions of Corinth in the days of Paul, I'll you just type that in and you'll get a, an array of sites that you can go in and look at that okay so that sets the backdrop for us now what we want to do is we want to go and look at okay hold on I'm done with that one I'm done with that one let's work our way into 1st Corinthians 14 by looking first at 13 now 12 was the one where we and we all are real familiar because we've been going back to that one over and over Thirteen began this particular segment on the use of spiritual gifts, right? And what you see is all the way through fourteen is spiritual gifts. So what does that tell you about thirteen? What is its subject matter? In the, of gifts. in the context of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is the major subject. And concerning spiritual gifts, what is the major thing he's trying to point out in thirteen? there you go it's all about love but if you look at 13 from that perspective that the subject matter is spiritual gifts I think you actually pull different points out as you're looking at it to, to uh, define these the flow of thought in it instead of just seeing love and and focusing on that as your major subject it's gifts it's spiritual gifts and everything concerning love is in relationship to the gifts so we want to have a theme or a title see if this is still going to work yeah it does okay let's start with gifts and what about gifts what how do you want to title this particular chapter when you looked at chapter 13 it was one of your assignments was to go through and look at 13 but now she asked us to look at eight to the end I think right primarily which is the second half of it But I want to take you through the whole thing, and it may be jumping a little bit on your homework for next week, but you'll be happy we did, (laughs) because it'll help you a little bit, okay? What do you think, look in verse uh, 1. What do you think it would be the title of 1 Corinthians 13? Concerning gifts, what? There you go. Gifts. Without love are nothing. Okay, I'll just use your words. That's perfect. That's close. Or you could put, gifts must be exercised in love. Either way, however you want to say that, okay? So let's look at verses 1 through 3 on that chapter. So what do you see in 1 through 3 concerning the subject of the gift? Did you notice in verse 2? It it opens with the actual use of the gift of. They've added that in for understanding in the English. But how how do we know for sure that that was added in correctly? What follows that word, the gift of, in verse 2? Prophecy and knowledge and faith. Okay, so we know those to be because of chapter 12. What? spiritual gifts so that's how they added that in in a correct way for clarification to the reader okay so if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all know, have all knowledge if I have all faith so as to re- remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing so here we are gifts without love are nothing so that's at verse two or three two right all right now one through three, then concerning those gifts that are n- nothing, what is the result?
1: hmm Yeah.
0: Okay. It profits nothing if. I'm going to go on if I don't exercise my gift or gifts with love or in love, right? Now my title's much shorter than that. I put the absence of love ruins the use of any gift. That's how I put it, which is just shorter. So it's it's definitely a more of a commentary statement, but in what she did is she used it profits nothing right out of the text which is really much better it profits me nothing that's in verse 3 okay all right. so that's 1 to 3 now let's do 4 to 7 I'm kinda going through these quickly because we want to get into 14 and that's where we're gonna spend all of our time mostly okay now in 4 to 7 what's the major subject going on in that paragraph huh it's talking about love and it's giving us the opposite of love in there also right so concerning that that presence that presence of love what is it showing us then about those sins or those negative characteristics what does love do to them If you if you place love into your life, even if you're jealous, even if you're what, see, let me put on these, even if you're a person that normally would be provoked easily, even if you're a person um, who sees, for instance, an unrighteous act, but because in their mind they think it's a it, it's the right thing to do, they didn't like what that person was doing, even if they did it in unrighteousness, then they're going to rejoice in that. And is that a good thing? No. So, but if you place love into your life, then you would not do that. You would not rejoice in unrighteousness. You would say unrighteousness is still unrighteous. There's movies that just drive me crazy. They take a bad guy and make him out like he's a good guy. and He runs around murdering people or killing people all for the sake of making something right. Well, but what he's doing is wrong, (laughs) right? So it's an unrighteous act to supposedly correct an unrighteous act. And you can't rejoice in that. Uh, do you remember the the Bronson movies uh the vigilante yeah so that was it you know he ran around on the streets at night setting himself up so that someone would attack him and then he he'd kill them it, that's rejoicing in unrighteousness <laughs> wouldn't you say okay so concerning those kinds of heart issues what does love do for us if we take love into our life, if we make love the priority in our life, if we put it at the top of our of our um, desires to seek after, particularly if you're talking about gifts. You can seek for prophecy or knowledge or faith or any of those things, but what you really want to do is above those spiritual gifts, you want a the gift which is not a spiritual gift by the way, but it is a gift, right? The gift of love. And if you implement love into your life, even if you have some of these negative qualities in your heart and in your mind still what does it do for it what does that love eventually do for you yeah so in other words it conquers it right it it overcomes it so the presence of love overcomes even our faults think about that If you have a spiritual gift, I know I have a spiritual gift. What if I exercise it in an improper way? If there's a motive in my heart that day or or or, uh, an attitude that's off. And so in the exercising of my spiritual gift, there is a sin factor that's influencing it. But guess what love does? love overcomes that first of all it reigns me in number one and number two if i am exercising my gift in love there's a lot of forgiveness of those around me they'll even forgive my shortcomings isn't that an awesome thought that if you operate from the concept of love even if you mess it up people are going to be forgiving they're merciful it brings out the mercy in people so here we have in four to seven Then the presence of love overcomes even our faults so think about that in relationship then to your spiritual gifting how that that message of that really makes such a difference do you know does that not give you a little bit of hope that you know what even if I don't do my gifting very well sometimes even if I fail in some way or another in my personal character people will be much more forgiving of me if i operate on the whole in love okay so the presence of love overcomes even our faults Okay, and that's all those sins that are listed in there. Yesterday, a verse came to my mind in the middle of the sermon out of James where it talked about keeping the royal law and it says that um, uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you remember that passage? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's kind of what I see here. Mercy will triumph over judgment if you are operating in love in your gift even if you mess up those people are going their mercy for you will triumph over the judgment of what you did in error that's encouraging think this is in the flow of thought of this subject matter of the gifts okay now 8 to 12 you did look at these what did you learn on the whole about 8 to 12 about your gifts Yeah, at some point the gifts are gonna are go, gonna go away, so they're temporary. The gifts are temporary, so that's one point you learn. And what is the other point you learned in nine and ten? The perfect will come, and then what happens? The partial will be done away, because when you're operating in your in your gift, he says concerning us, we know in part. And we prophesy in part. Now you can say, I um, I serve the body of Christ in part, part knowledge, part understanding, part insight about what's going on. And I um, I only know some certain things, right? But and I exercise my gift. You could put any gift in there you want. It doesn't have to be just prophecy. It could be any gift. Just put plug your gift in there. You do those things in with part knowledge. You don't have full understanding yet about all the things you haven't seen jesus face to face you don't have the full mind of christ yet so you're exercising your gifts with impartiality is what's saying here so it's in part and therefore when that perfect does come the partial understanding the partial knowledge will be done away so in that then what you can see is that we are exercising our gifts therefore in weakness are we not we're not, we don't have full power. There's a weakness. Our, our, our own flesh gets in the way in some manner or another. A little bit like what we say here, that the presence of love is going to overcome even our faults. Well, now it says our, our gifts are exercised in weakness and are temporary, right? But but what is the, the thing that gives you confidence in the, those verses? That's right. But love is never going to fail you right even if you don't do the other gifts well you can love well and if you're doing it with in a loving manner and you're loving people they're going to get that part of the message right off the bat and they're not and they're going to be so totally filled with grace in in your um, evaluation as they evaluate the things that you're doing the grace will come in because of your love so if you do your gifts in love then you're going to have a lot of mercy come right So our gifts are exercised in two things, weakness and are temporary. But, right, love will never cease. okay then we have one more verse to get the outline here so this is the most famous little verse in the world so super simple right what does it say but now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love so concerning your spiritual gifts what does that tell you then if, if love is the greatest, even of these three things, and they're all very valuable, right? We certainly know that faith and hope are essential in our faith walk, right? With God. But, he's, but they're saying, but love is the one that's the most important of all. And so what does that tell you about how you're going to operate your spiritual gift? With love, right? So the greatest gift you can exercise is love that's not a spiritual gift it's just the gift of god of love but still the greatest gift that you can exercise is love now that's a whole different way of looking at this particular passage isn't it if you're looking at it purely from the subject of gifts okay so flow of thought there let's just go through it gifts without love are nothing it profits nothing if i don't exercise my gifts with love the next one the presence of love overcomes even our faults right even our faults and you could go on in our faults when we exercise our gifts right Our gifts in the next segment, our gifts are exercised in weakness and are temporary, but love will never cease. And the last one, the greatest gift that you can exercise is love. I think it was a lot different than the way I looked at it before. When I went through it before, my emphasis was on the subject of love. This time I placed my emphasis on the subject of gifts. Which one is the correct way to look at it? gifts because that's our subject matter spiritual gifts this is our flow of thought so we we pull 13 out and i understand why we do it because the the premises the the fundamental truths that are stated in there apply for everything right they can go anywhere you want them to go but if you want to stay in context to what's actually being discussed it's about gifts so concerning your the exercise of spiritual gifts love must be the overriding factor in in all of it so that's in chapter 13. okay any other questions on that did you have any other insights when you did your work in there it was a small amount of work fortunately she didn't have us to spend tons of time okay well now next week hopefully that outline is going to be beneficial next week when you're doing your homework on that particular passage in more depth okay all right now let's look at chapter 14 and we're looking at our lovely subject of speaking in tongues and it's contrasted throughout the whole chapter with another use of a tongue but it's for what other subject no tongues and there are two that are contrasted in chapter 14 two spiritual gifts yeah. Prophecy. Very good. So we have the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Both are an exercise of the, of the tongue, correct? Both of them are speaking gifts, correct? All right. And the fact that they're speaking gifts, then what Kay had us do was to go through and make a list of, of contrasts and comparisons about uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues. So when I did it, I even gave my, you can see my worksheet up here. I even gave myself a visual of a church right at the top of my of my chart because I didn't want to forget that this is all in context to in the corporate assembly in the assembling of the church in worship services right in the church in the church is not speaking of just the body of Christ it's speaking about literally the physical building of the church where we come together to meet so that is your subject is when the church assembles what are we what is it that we need to know about how we are going to exercise our gifts so he starts out in 12 gives us all the different kinds of gifts right he tells you how you get them when you get them why you get them what their purpose is right and those those fundamental truths are huge for understanding um the subject matter and so he started out there in the very beginning of 12 i don't want you to be unaware and I think a lot of people are unaware about spiritual gifts. And, and for whatever reason, they just don't care. You know, it's just not important to them. But I would argue that spiritual gifts, the knowledge of them, uh, is I think one of the most essential things for operating well within the body of Christ and having good dynamics and relationships with one another. Because how do you how do you know, first of all, how do you know who to call? ghostbusters, right? (laughs) Who do you call when there's a certain kind of a situation or issue that needs to be addressed? Well, if you, if you're intuitive enough and you're astute enough, you're paying close enough attention to your body, you've kind of pegged who's good at what. I can call this person. They'll do this. I can call that person. They can do that. Right. So depending on what needs to be done. So it's, I think it's really essential. Uh, Just from that perspective. But are there other reasons why you think it might be good? Okay. Excellent. So that's one of the things that we did in the first several of our gifts was look at the pros and the cons to people with those giftings, what they're like. And basically it's how they're operating in the spirit or how they're, if they're not, if they're walking in the flesh in any manner, they can all, and or have, they have weaknesses in in their own personalities, which is why this talks about that, that if we have love, you know, then that's even going to overcome the faults and the shortcomings we have. So, Knowing a person's spiritual gifting and in what way they might come across. Um, I had a person in my life at one time and there was a group of us that we would meet together. And this one particular person was always just wanting to help. Well, I know that was her spiritual gifting. But it came across very pushy and very almost nosy. Because she would go, what do you need? How can I help you? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do this? So she was constantly wanting to help. And, which is awesome, but the problem is, is there was one person who felt overwhelmed by it, and she didn't know how to politely say, no, you know, I don't want you in the bathroom with my husband who just had an accident, it was an elderly couple, and and she, uh, she wanted to go in and help, She just wanted to help, and she didn't care, he was an old, you know, an old man, but the woman was horrified, no, no, you know, so... I think that when you understand the gift, now I sat there as a believer and assessed, I see what she's doing. And at some point, I just reached across and put my hand on her hand. And I said, you know, just let her handle it. And she backed off, which was surprising. But she did, because she's also very strong-willed. But the problem is, is if you don't know what their spiritual gifting is, Sometimes you're absolutely right. You can misassess what their intentions is and the motivation behind what they're doing and you can critic critically uh, you know basically you can just be mean to them because you're mad, you don't like what they're saying, you don't like what they're doing, okay? So ha- knowing gifting and knowing each of the qualities and characteristics of the gifts helps us have better dynamics with one another right any other thoughts convicted <laughs>
1: Right.
0: (laughs) Yes. And what is, but obviously, yeah, what, obviously God's intention is not to make you feel sad or bad, right? What is his intention? Once you've learned what, what, where you should be fitting and where you see yourself being, then what should you be doing? Developing, get to work. Yeah, just get to work, right? And so God really—that's why He talks about consolation and exhortation and these other things that goes on in the body of Christ. That it's to exhort us on to good works, right? And so knowing your gift and having a, a conviction through the study of it, so that you begin to do those things which you should have been doing all along, right? Any other thoughts?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think our church leaders more than anybody need to have a good ability of picking out who does what well and getting them in the right place because um Yeah, because it's really I really do think that's an important thing because if you put them in the wrong place, they fail, and then you 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 really just crush their spirit, Um, and you hurt the body of Christ because they have to be tortured. Well, this person who is not any good at that, you know, whatever it is, doing that thing. Um, Yeah. So it's it's the point of the study of this is to to exhort you to figure out what you do have if you don't know it's it exposes you to see what all the possibilities are and the the knowledge that there can be this multi faceted angle of the gift too because if you have a little bit of this gift a little bit of this a little and then you have one major gift you're going to have one primary motivational gift you're going to probably pretty quickly figure that out that's the one that mostly you know, revs me up. And that's the one I really want to be involved in. But then there are other supporting gifts that help to round it out and to make it whole, right? Um, and I think that if you don't know about the gifts, this is the opportunity to do that, to kind of become familiar with them. Um, and there, really, there are only two subjects in the word of God, where God says to us, I don't want you to be unaware. One is spiritual gifts. What was the other one? eschatology in times when he comes again yep and God says don't be unaware about these two things so obviously they're important okay all right Can I just throw out that I think a body know has flesh and blood for us. isn't that amazing that God thought this all through and he knew that one person can't do it all God is the all the all-knowing the all-seeing the all complete provision for us in all things but we in our fragile little bodies you know we're one person with one mind we're not omniscient we can't do all we're not i'm not superwoman right i can't do it all so people who who recognize that god has made a provision in the body so that all these other things get done for one thing you let them go especially if you're a control freak right if you're like me (laughs) i tend to want to do it all myself sometimes but i've learned as i've gotten older to let it go and let other people um to take charge and do the things that they do well um, and things operate so much better and there's so much less stress in my life because of it right well, as you guys all come in in the morning and set things up and organize and make calls or send out emails or whatever you all do um, that's a huge benefit to me because then what do i have to do this just my homework all i have to do is get ready to teach you guys something hopefully right all right so that's the this is the subject of the love chapter from the perspective of spiritual gifts it's speaking about your gifts and your gifts without love are basically are nothing right they don't profit you anything and and they can become um unattractive to people around all right, so now we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to do the same thing. Open up your observation worksheets. Um, and we want to go through and just look at each paragraph. Now, she did not ask you to mark paragraphs, but did anybody in here think to do that? Yes? Good job, Carol. <laughs> Woohoo! hoo You know you're the only one nodding your head yes. Good girl. <laughs> she gets... No, but that's okay. In 13 she just barely had us go in there. So, I did I just wanted to do this because I felt like the flow of thought that takes you into 14 is this 13. And 12 came before, which introduced the subject of spiritual gifts. So, 12, 13, and 14 is all on spiritual gifts. And 11 through 14 is one segment division. It's all about division in church assembly, misuse and misrepresentation and truly um, defaming or blaspheming even God's holy name in the use of these, of misuse of these things. Women who wouldn't be submissive, would not understand God's design order and want to take charge over men in the church assembly. So, you know, women are not to be pastors. And I know that's probably not the most popular thought uh, of things in our era today, but I really don't think that people understand why. If they understood the why behind it, I think they would be totally happy with obeying it. Well, if they love the Lord and they understand God has a design order, right? And that the order is the woman, the husband is to be the spiritual leader and he represents Christ in the church. This pastor represents Jesus for us as our leader. He's the head and we're his sheep. we're, We're his body. He's the head, we're the body. And so, you can't put a woman in the place of Christ. It's a man. And God lays it out for us over and over in His Word, He says that. Right? Ephesians 5 is a great one to go to if you want to, you know, understand that. Ephesians 5 talks about the husband and wife relationship, but then He contrasts it and compares it to Christ in the church. And so, in that, what you come to see is that God has placed men to be that authority position. Okay. And it's all because of the design order it's all because of the picture you just don't want to mess with god's pictures on salvation all right let's do this first corinthians 14 one to five is our first paragraph um we see i'm just going to read this real quick pursue love yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy now this is very interesting because um, earlier what we saw was that there are the, all the gifts are equal right that no gift is above the other and he, he explained that very much in detail in chapter 12 where he says the eye cannot do without the hand or the heart right i mean we all need we need all of the body parts and they are equal and, and he even talks about those things which are less becoming by their nature, he's exalted even yet more in order that they would have basically equal standing with those things which are more visible and more more ex, um, exalted. So here he says, but I want you to understand, I want you to pursue love, yet earnestly uh, desire spiritual gifts, um, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in tongue edifies himself, but now I want to put a caveat in there. One who speaks in tongues without an interpretation, okay, edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues again insert without interpretation and he says that unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying so in that pa- paragraph there what is the major gist of what he's trying to say there what is he emphasizing prophecy edifies the church but the tongue edifies itself okay Yeah. And what does he want them to do concerning gifts? gifts Yes, seek the gifts that edify. That's exactly right. Earnestly
1: desire,
0: especially those that edify right and remember again he's talking about in the church context so in the church assembly when you guys come together for church worship desire above all things that someone have the gift that edifies everybody not just one correct are you seeing the contrast he's saying don't go into the assembly with the idea of i have a special gift and i'm going to share it but only some people are going to get blessed by it right others won't and that's not the kind of a gift you want when you're trying to meet the needs of the whole correct so earnestly desire the gifts especially those that edify and you could put the whole body right No, what that means is if you're speaking in tongues without interpretation, that's a correct assessment. But if you have interpretation, what? Does it edify if you have interpretation? Yes, Yes, it can. If it's a proper use of it. Exactly. Okay. So what we're doing is because he's correcting, he's wanting to show them what they've been doing wrong and what they're doing right. Now, remember, we're talking about the cults in the area they already have the speaking in tongues but it's the babbling which is nonsensical talking it has no real words to it there's no language on the earth there's no human on earth that could hear that and understand it so of what value would it be in the assembly of the church right um and so he's saying we, we need to understand that when we come together the whole church assembly we need to earnestly desire the gifts especially those that edify well edify all right that edify i'm just going to add that word so that'll make it better uh huh right so now okay so then you have to go back to your 101s on spiritual gifts when you go back to chapter 12 where it lays it out is the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues one gift or two two okay so that's the nuance in this now so it is I think it would probably be possible that a person with a gift of tongues could have a gift of interpretation as well, that when they speak in a foreign language, that they would actually understand what they're saying. They actually think they're speaking English, you know, when they're saying it, probably. And so if they turned around to me, they could say, oh, I just told him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I spoke in a tongue. I recognized I was speaking in tongues, but actually, this is what I said right okay so first of all let's identify the word mysteries what is the definition of mysteries here did I look it up did you a word study on the word mysteries Oh, whoops. Okay, I'm going to show it to you right now because this is really cool. Okay, mysteries is here. They speak mysteries. Um, let's put it over here. So that's our word, mysteries. It is number 3466. And I'm going to spell the transliteration, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. Mysterion. Okay, it kind of sounds like mystery, Mysterion. Okay, now definition of it, it's those things not before disclosed, things belonging to God. So it's mysteries, things, because in the context of what we're looking at for the use of all the spiritual gifts, what is their purpose? for who? The common good. The common good of who? The church, right? Of the faith, of the building up of the kingdom of God. So these mysteries are those things which pertain uh, to God. Things belonging to God, uh, not before disclosed. Now, there's a couple of verses that I think will, will help us see this same use of the word mysteries. Go to Matthew 13, 11. One of you, who wants to take that one for us? Thank you, Martha. And then we need Romans 16, 25 to 27. Who wants something? Thank you, Susan. Okay, let's read those. Because they're going to define for us what, what these mysteries are specific. What is it that belongs to God that through a tongue, when you speak these mysteries, it would proclaim something? Okay, Martha? So,
1: Matthew 13 11. Mm-hmm. Jesus
0: answered them To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been granted. Okay, so it's the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus came preaching and teaching what did he come preaching and teaching the kingdom of God right that was his his point all right Matthew now Romans Susan okay so I'm almost done I almost caught up with you so in Romans 16 in essence it's speaking about the gospel message and so it's the mysteries of Christ that are now being made known right so especially in the Corinthian church early church early birthing these people are really just growing in their knowledge of God and just getting to know him well even we growing up in a Christian nation with a lot of influence. When we first come into faith, don't we have a lot to to need to know and to grow in? So these are the mysteries of Christ that are made known leading to obedience of faith. So that's the mysteries that's being spoken of here. The mysteries are of Christ, basically, and of the gospel. You could just write that into your text there if you want to. Um, So... The one who prophesies speaks to men for for edification uh, in verse 3 follows the fact that he's saying in his spirit he is speaking these mysteries, right? But if he's speaking these mysteries about the gospel, but he can't interpret, uh, what value is that to anybody in the church assembly? That's what he's saying. It doesn't do any good at all to speak about the mysteries of God, about the gospel of salvation that might lead someone into faith, might lead them into to uh, a relationship with God if you don't if you're not able to communicate that in a way that someone understands if you're speaking in some kind of a language that's only between you and God right uh, of what value is that in the church assembly are you catching okay so I thought that was really an insightful little point because it is a point that people kind of go to a lot often and they will say well see but I can speak to God alone well maybe there are times when you would do that in your private time and that's where this subject of prayer languages come in right but where in the word of god is prayer languages taught nowhere it's not so i'm not saying it doesn't happen i'm just saying it's obviously not the use of the the of the spiritual gift of tongues it's not its purpose it's kind of like what we talked about earlier, yeah, last week about the gifts of healings what is the purpose for gifts of healings it's a sign for and and it works alongside of what evangelism now does that mean God doesn't ever heal the body of Christ the rest of us just oh you're already in forget you you don't get healing does God ever heal us of course he does, but he doesn't use the gifts of healings to do it. He heals in other ways. It, we looked at some verses and said you can go to the elders. They can lay on hands. They can anoint you. They can pray for you. Certainly we know you can go to God yourself in prayer and ask, right? You also can get on online, make a phone call to your doctor. You can do a lot of things to try to help yourself as well. But always the overriding thing in the mind of a Christian is God is the one who's the healer, right? So there's, there's, there are ministries of healings in churches. People who love to nurture, love to assist, love to come alongside of people who are sick. They go to the hospitals. They go and pray for people when they're not feeling good or if they're having special issues. They love that. So they do go and they pray for them, but they don't have the gifts of healings because the gifts of healings, the purpose of it is evangelism. Okay, so tongues, in this case, what do you say at this point about tongues? If it's the mysteries, and it's the mysteries of Christ, the gospel, that's going to bring you to a leading to obedience of faith. There you go. Exactly. So already, right there, you now know it's it's used as a sign gift for working with unbelievers. So what subject is that? evangelism again we're back to evangelism remember the gifts were given to build up the body of Christ to bring people into the kingdom of God and to strengthen those who come in is that making sense okay so we now know we are to earnestly desire the gifts but especially those that that will edify all when you're in the church assembly because that's what we're talking about Um, oh here the whole church assembly I should I should put a box around that or something so we can keep that in mind as we're talking about all of these different things, right? It's all about that we're in the church assembly. All right, so that was that. But and the other thing I would say is when you First uh, Corinthians 15, by the way, which we didn't touch, follows 14, right? And 15 goes on to talk about um, the subject of the resurrection of the physical body in that chapter it is essential that when it talks about the body that you add in there the physical body or add the word the the physical body into the text the flow of the thought because when it's talking about those that are being uh uh, um shoot I don't have mine with me let me see if I can find it real quick because it'll be easier if I see it nope I went too far Okay. um, Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this is talking about the dead, but the dead what? The dead body so in this passage over and over every time you see the resurrection of the dead you need to insert the word the physical body in some way or draw a picture of a body or do something draw a little stick man over it because they by losing that last part of the of the thought pattern resurrection of the dead people often just go to the spiritual and they they forget that the context is the dead body. And so some of the interpretations that come out of 1 Corinthians 15 get messed up because they forget it's about the physical resurrection, okay? So in spiritual gifts, my reason for telling you that is the same thing happens in chapter 14. They forget to to tell you this is talking about the church assembly, right? And that you have to add in that that concept of in the assembly, the gift of tongues Without interpretation needs to be added in there because in all these cases, it almost makes it sound like, well, the gift of tongues is of no value and it's not good and it's, it's a bad thing. But it, that's not what it's saying. It's saying in the church assembly, if you speak in tongues without interpretation, then it's a problem. Because then others are not going to be edified by it, which is your primary opening here. That you're to earnestly desire those gifts, especially those that edify everyone in that gathering. Okay? That's a really good question. And, uh, Kathy, have you ever seen the gift of tongues operated correctly? or in any church environment, have you? So can you answer that question? So he gave both the tongues, and then he gave it. So when he was speaking in tongues, who was he speaking to that needed that language? Okay, so that one would make me worry a little bit because what have we learned when we did our word studies on the subject of these different words? Was there any of them that, that implied that what comes out of the mouth is nonsensical words, that it's not a language. If you're going to speak in a tongue, what would, and the purpose is to speak the mysteries of God so that you bring someone into salvation, do you not have a target? Yes. So he he should have had a target that didn't speak English. And so he needed that tongue. And so he would speak Norwegian, right? Or he would speak uh, Cantonese, or he would speak, Swahili, right? Because that's who came into the midst and that person was not being edified and was looking for God, came into this environment and he needed to hear the gospel. Think about it in the, in the context of the first Corinthians church. Remember we talked about Corinth being, it is very international. It had at least four major languages in and of itself just there living there but also people to travel through there because it was a very important city of, of commerce and trade and um, politics and so forth Ephesus was the same way a port city and people come and go it's not port anymore but it was at one time so um, when you speak in tongues it's to evangelize there's for you have a target I would question that particular Event. Have you ever seen it where a person actually had a target and someone interpreted for you? Oh, well, there you go. It could be because that would be a word of prophecy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, then that might work that might work. I mean, I've honestly never seen it exercised. I think that in our churches today, it's pretty rare because most of us speak English. We have no needed purpose of the tongue, you know, other than it would be a sign to an unbeliever who would see that person exercise that and do it. I think the way it would be profound to the person who's an unbeliever, though, that speaks English, to hear you speak in a tongue that they didn't understand. It sounded... But maybe that was their primary language. That's what I was saying. And that's why I was wanting to know if and so that's. Well, and that, then they did understand English as well, but that was more to like to show that particular person. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. Then, yes. Okay, so. so bottom line, <laughs> it's to evangelize. That's what the gift is for. It's an evangelism tool. As a matter of fact, my, one of my friends used to call it evangelism in a foreign language. So they would go into an environment where there might be a person there who'd spoken another language and they needed to hear the gospel in their own language as a sign that God was speaking to them. Yes.: It could be. although in America that were you in America? Yeah, so probably not, but but you're right. And even if even if he didn't know the language, if it was a sign to him that God loves him, that you know, if he spoke that and then he translated it, the thing is, if he translated it into Navajo, um, right, yeah, so the whole thing could have been a sign. You know, I am the, honestly, I am so unqualified to be teaching this because I've never experienced it. I've never really seen it done correctly. The ways that I have seen it done are on the TV evangelism type shows where it's all done wrong. It's just almost anybody who watches those can see that that it is a setup situation. Um, and the other thing that we see when we get to the end of 14, we see that one of the things he stresses is that it must, all things must be done properly and all things must be done in an orderly manner, right? It's, they're not, there's not supposed to be this chaos and, and confusion that's going on. And he speaks on that, right? Um, so most of these TV evangelist shows where you see the the speaking in tongues going on, it's chaos. And uh, When you observe it, what is your immediate reaction to it? How do you feel when you see that kind of confusion going on? Yeah, it's confusing. And how does it make you feel about the whole setup? Very uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: okay that's all good Uh,
0: yeah and my question would be what was the what was this design purpose and what was the outcome and so if the outcome was someone was brought closer to god or brought into faith particularly brought into faith because that's primary uses for evangelism then that would be a confirmation that it was used for the right purpose right um and i don't think that obviously speaking in tongues does not have to occur only in church what we're looking at in chapter 14 though is this proper use within a church setting if you go to church on sunday morning you assemble together this is how this gift should be used what you saw in for in first corinthians fourteen is that what you see in a lot of charismatic churches? Is that how it's used? one or two with interpretation done orderly no no it's not. They all start talking and it's it is exactly as Paul describes it, which is interesting because this what what I see has happened with the churches that do it in improperly, especially in the congregational gathering. Um, is that they have taken on the pagan qualities of that babbling stuff, right? Which, first of all, on the whole, the majority of it should always be a language that's known. When we looked in First or in Acts chapter two, the first demonstration for us of the use of this gift: who was speaking and what, and what resulted, and what was the the, the tongues about. Do you remember? Okay. So again, it was the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It was mysteries of Christ made known. It was speaking about the mighty deeds of God himself. And those listening heard what? Heard in their own language. So it's a language. It's not a babbling. And so if you're using the gift properly for evangelism, it is a language, not a babbling. Yes, and the and if you think it through, just in logic, the logic is: if I'm in a gathering like we are here, you all speak English. What would be the point to me speaking in tongues? Can I not give you the gospel in English? Yes, and so there's really no point to that gift in this setting. But think about Paul, who says, "I speak more than all of it, and I praise God that I speak it more than all of you." Right in tongues. Why? What was paul's whole work about he was evangelizing the whole uh, continent basically and everywhere he went there were different tongues and different languages different dialects right so if anybody needed that gift those apostles in the beginning in that birthing of the church they all they really all needed it right um so it makes sense if you consider when you look at all the other gifts that we have how practical are they how practical is it to have a leader? How practical is it to have helps? How practical is it to have a teacher, or to have an administrator, or to have, right, mercy? Mercy, mercy. We don't have any mercy girls in here, do we? Do we have anyone with mercy? No. See You? Oh, good, I'm so glad. We have, according to her, we have one, one maybe, <laughs> right? I mean, but we need all the gifts. And they all serve a functioning, practical purpose to make the body healthy and work. And the imagery that's given in First Corinthians 12 of it being like a body—the eye needs the hand, the hand needs the foot—type of thing—it um, it actually emphasizes the fact that you, you know, you need a beating heart, right? So you need your mercy gift, but you also need a, a head—a person who thinks and 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 leads us and sets goals for us and says follow me and i'm going yes i'll follow you i don't want to lead i don't want to lead not my thing i want to follow so these gifts if when you come to this one last gift it's the one gift that we mess it up and we say well it really didn't have a practical reason it can be for my own private use and is is that anywhere in the teachings on the spiritual gifts private anything no. When you, te- when you study the subject of prayer, does God anywhere teach prayer in a, lang- in a foreign language? No. So praying should be done in your known language. You should pray with your mind and with your heart, right? In, connect- in connecting with God. God understands you certainly the the spirit intercedes for us in those things that we don't know how to pray or what to pray, but we don't have to do it with the tongue. The spirit does the interceding right, and so prayer is never taught to be in in a foreign language of any kind or in a babbling of any kind. as the holy spirit that would which is what we all have. Yes. Yes. And the, the, the goal of it is to evangelize, right? Now you bring up a point too: the idea of the Holy Spirit in empowering you for this gift. Does the Holy Spirit empower every gift? Do you have to have the Holy Spirit to receive any gift that you have? Yes. Yes. There's a teaching out there though, that you get an additional filling because of the tongues. And if you don't have that additional filling, then you're kind of a second class. You haven't, met your potential and there's so much more for you and you would just love it if right but what do we know about gifts who gives the gifts god does who determines the gift god does how do you receive the gift through the holy spirit when you are baptized into the body of christ so does that anywhere in there tell us that we need an additional filling after we've received our first filling no When it talks about, and he was filled with the spirit and he was filled with the spirit. It just means he was walking in the spirit. It's that empowering that once in a while you do see a special anointing and a man, a pastor can just get in there and then he can just lay it out. And and, and everybody is just like, that was so good, right? Every now and then you get that kind of a thing, or you're doing a service and all, and God just supernaturally just things just fall in place, it all gets, you know, worked out and every detail is perfect, you get done and you're just going, oh, that was so awesome, right? Because the Spirit came upon you and gave you all the right tools and all the right supplies and everything fell into its proper place in a good time. But that's not a second filling of the Holy Spirit. Or as that we now have a new one, the third wave of the Holy Spirit. There's a third filling or a third wave uh in the charismatic movement which is charles craft and you want to stay away from anything that he's teaching because again it's it's a false doctrine okay all right so <laughs> <laughs> yes okay so he's he's setting out a big scenario let's just cover them all so angels apparently have their own language was probably hebrew i don't know I'm just guessing, but he's just, he's, what he's doing, he's saying, it doesn't matter if you have all the languages, but don't have love, right, so that's the contrast, he throws that in there, that there's an angel language, now, whether that's actually true or not, it probably is, I remember watching a movie one time, when they were talking about, that was, there was an angel that used to come, beam down, basically, was a guardian angel, but he, he would talk in clicks. <laughs> oh, oh, there's that angel talk. <laughs> All clicking of the tongue. <laughs> Pretty funny, but it's just he's he's being a little bit bombastic to say it doesn't matter what language, if you don't have love, it profits you nothing, right. Right No, of course not. And you know what? When they came to Abraham, what language did they speak? Hebrew? When they when they showed up to uh, Paul and them, what did, uh, I'm not sure which one, but they picked the common language, the Greek or the Aramean is what that angel would have spoke, right? If the angel comes to you and I today in America, he better speak English, right? Or we wouldn't understand. And in, in many ways, that actually right there demonstrates to you the the usefulness of speaking in tongues, it takes a barbarian language that you don't know and gives you an ability to speak in that language. So the angels when they come to us, they're speaking in tongues. If you think about it, (laughs) it's a it, it has to be that you know when they showed up to Daniel, they were probably speaking whatever language Daniel needed at the time. Probably Hebrew, but still it could have been Babylonian probably Hebrew okay let's go to the next one real quickly let's get through these now 6 to 12 if you speak in tongues what Uh, 6 to 12 now brethren If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either? Now, this is really cool because now he's telling you exactly what this definition is about mysteries, about the mysteries of Christ made known leading to repentance of faith. Now, he does that right here. He says, I have to be speaking to you if I'm going to use my tongues in the congregation. It needs to be a revelation. It needs to be knowledge. It needs to be prophecy or it needs to be teaching. Does that make sense? Wow, does that take that gift right down to black and white? Easy, easy peasy. Uh, Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the noise, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? I remember somebody doing that, demonstrating it in a lesson one time and they got horns out and just started making noises with the arm going, oh, please. And somebody else was clanging and there was like no order to it. There was no rhythm. There was no pattern. And so it was just a clanging noise for if the bugle produces a a distinct sound, who, who will, uh, or an indistinct sound who will prepare himself for battle okay so that would be the sounding of the horn so you also you unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear how will it be known what is spoken for you'll be speaking into the air there are perhaps a great many languages in the world and no kind is without meaning so right there what does that tell you about speaking in tongues it has some kind of meaning and it's a known language Okay. I think that's really good. It's it's a language and it has meaning. You can underline those two words. Um, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, it will uh, I will be the one who speaks as a barbarian. Now, I, I marked that one in a distinctive way because that barbarian, I don't know if I looked that one up. I know I did in my homework time, but the barbarian, it just means um, a language that would not be known to you. It's a person that you can't understand, right? So if he speaks as a barbarian then you, and, uh, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So you have to have a common link. And this is why, remember the Tower of Babel? How did God get the people to split up and move out of the one city? He confused their languages. and That's where all the languages came from. So we got all the languages at the Tower of Babel, and God's dispersed them. Why? Because they couldn't communicate with one another, and it it fouled up their big plan to make a tower into heaven, right? So they had to go out into the world and and fulfill the whole earth, as God had told them. By definition, it means uh, a foreigner of unknown language. That's what the barbarian definition is. I've got it right here, number 915 um so also you since you are zealous of spiritual gifts therefore do what seek to abound for the edification of the church so if your context is when you're gathering as a church what is it that he wants you to know if you're going to speak in a tongue what must it do it must edify the church if it's not going to edify the church in that moment don't do it right right okay so tongues without interpretation is if someone who speaks as a barbarian but here's what tongues does do I love this tongues removes the language barrier in evangelism and that's its function okay 13 to 19 if you speak in tongues I'm going to put this up again What does this tell you about this church concerning tongues? It must have been a lot of tongues, and it must have been babblings, and it must have been not even a language, and it must have been more like what they brought in from the cults of their day, right? The cult worships that were going on. And so they had brought this into the church. Um, What would be the purpose for doing that? What do you think would motivate someone to want to bring in something like that, that, where they would just kind of get all talk, 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 you know, in languages or words or, or nonsensical ways. Why Why would a person want to bring that into a church? Because we have it today even also. Why? Why do you think people want that? Okay, for one thing, it brings a lot of attention to me right? Because while I'm making this crazy sound, you're looking at me as if I've had an encounter with God, how special you are, right? And it's like, oh, let me just touch you because you're talking to God. Okay. So that's one reason. So it makes you feel good, gets you attention. What else? When you're doing it, and when everyone is doing it, and they're all just kind of into this babblings that they were doing, what happens in, emotionally in the, in the congregation? Everybody gets hyped up. It's a hyping. So it's an adrenaline rush, so to speak, right? And so then it becomes this moment of ecstasy in your emotions, and at least momentarily, what? What? Well, first of all, it's chaos. It is chaos. And if you enter into that room in that moment and you're not one who speaks in tongue, I would be making a new door if I couldn't find the one close enough, right? I'd be running because it would be frightening to an unbeliever to come into that kind of a situation. Uh, But to the ones who are in there and engaged in it, especially if they can find fellow like minded people, it's like a party. And it's an adrenaline rush, and everybody's feeling euphoric and happy, right? And so they go for, so why are they in church? For an experience and to make them feel good in the moment. And they're not there to learn these mysteries of Christ may know leading to the obedience of faith. They're not there for consolation or exhortation or a word of prophecy or edification or knowledge they're there to get an experience and and the sad thing is is they live from week to week for that experience again and once they get hooked on it it's really hard to give it up and it's also their their pridefulness too because once you've engaged in that and you think you do, you kind of convince yourself, and then the more you do it, that what uh, this Ch- Charles Craft I mentioned earlier, the third wave of the Holy Spirit, um, the, it's a new wave of the, the charismatic, he said that he started out in seminary in a mainstream uh, Christian denomination, not a charismatic church. And um, And I'm not dishing on, I'm not disrespecting or or saying negative about charismatic moves i think there are very many charismatics that probably really know that do know the lord the problem is is the operation of their church services is in deception it's it's wrong basically this is lays it out um but charles craft started out with that background of i don't know what it was it was something really mainstream and then he went to the charismatic thing um by an invitation of a friend who said well just come he says well you know i'm studying to be a pastor and i probably need this experience and this would be good for me it'll broaden my horizons so he went and listened and he still was a little uncomfortable so what did he do instead of running (laughs) instead of that being the holy spirit and him going ah instead he says well let me go again and then little by little Guess what? It's kind of like that frog you put in the pot of cold water and to slowly turn the temperature up. And pretty soon, boom, he was in. So that is what you and I do not want to have happen. This is why it's important for us to know the, these doctrines about spiritual gifts, how you get them, when you get them, who gives them, and what their function is. What is their designed purpose? Um, he, the gifts of healings is a, is an evangelism tool. That's all it is gifts of tongues it is evangelism but it can be operational in the church for other reasons like a sign gift like miracles miracles can operate for evangelism yes but it can also work in other areas as well as God so determines but it's not something that you see that often there they are pretty uh, rare but they are used to make a profound statement and so generally it would be something that's really um, exceptional sort of in its need, right? God is really needing to get that person's attention or that group's attention or that nation's attention. And so God would operate in that way. As we approach the end times, it's going to get greater and greater in their use. So just know that. And this is one of the reasons to you studying this right now is important because as you and I approach the end days, as those days come closer, we're going to start to see more and more sign gifts. And the sign gifts are not always from God. Where do some of those other sign gifts come from? False teachers can do it. And who's empowering them if they are not doing it? Satan. If it's not God, it's Satan. So these are going to be false signs and wonders as we approach the end times. Jesus said in our work last week that From this time forward, false teachers, false wonders, and false signs are going to be coming. So from the day that Jesus left... Well, probably even before that, but he says, "Look, they are present in the world today, and they will be all the way to the end." But if you go into the Revelation records, you see an exponential amount of use of those things, and they grow in in greater power. And one of the thing, one of the verses we looked at in Revelation, I think it was sixteen, it says, "These signs and wonders out of the frogs of mouths will come certain signs and wonders." Now, I don't know if these are literal frogs or if they're toad politicians you know, but could be. But when they do this, the purpose of those signs and wonders is to convince the kings of the earth to follow. And they will. They'll be that convincing. So people like you and I, we need to be aware and we need to be warning. There are going to be many left behind who haven't yet come into faith. And if they do, they are going to have to go through those days. And Unless God takes them out somehow right unless they die or or um, in some other way they they, well they'd have to die if they don't die they're gonna live through those seven years so they need to be aware of the fact that these signs and wonders so things all these signs and wonder gifts that we have and we have a bunch right Um, we have the prophet can also come with signs although it, it isn't as often the prophet primarily is like a teacher in our present world today, we don't have people on the whole giving prophetic things about the future, but mostly what they're doing is interpreting what God has already said and what we're seeing being fulfilled. So they're doing that, but their main mission is to correct the church and to keep them uh, in line, right? To rebuke sin. Edification, exhortation, and consolation is their work, right? And then there's the faith sign gift also it's another gift that comes with signs often things that god will do supernaturally because of their faith and then god will work in a supernatural way we have the gifts of healings again evangelism effecting of miracles miracles primarily would be evangelism but it can work in some of the other areas as well and then we had discerning of spirits as a supernatural thing that's when it's a supernatural um uh enlightening that God brings. He comes upon the believer who has this gift to reveal to them some deception or, or lie or truth or danger right to the body of Christ. And so these types of gifts that have some uh, kind of a special supernatural nuance to them, they are important for you to actually understand that if they're not operating for the functioning of the body of Christ, then they're not being operated correctly if they're using them outside of the realm of evangelism or building up the body of christ to teach and to educate then they're not a true gift just know that okay all right let's move on uh 13 to 19 if you speak in tongues what now there's a verse 15 that otherwise did you see that word that comes up twice in, in this. It comes up in 13, comes up again in 26. Otherwise, what is the outcome, right, is the statement. So that's kind of a clue to us about what it is that he's wanting to say. He says, therefore, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. So what he's saying here is I will pray in tongues, in the spirit, and I will, uh, with the mind, interpret right and if you can't do that don't do it if you're doing something that's a babbling that you don't have any clue what it is and you don't have an interpreter stop it rebuke it in the name of jesus (laughs) because it's not from the lord i will sing with the spirit that would be in tongues right and i will sing with the mind also meaning there has to be an understanding of it and if you're singing something and there's no interpreter then it's not being uh um, executed correctly so in this particular little verse there in verse 15 basically again it's right back to the other verses where if you don't have interpretation it's useless in the assembly of the church because the purpose in the church is for everyone to get edified okay otherwise you bless in the spirit only did you notice If in the spirit, that means speaking in tongues, if you're blessing in the spirit in tongues only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? So you've given thanks, but how can anybody even say, oh yes, amen, thank you, Lord. They can't even be in agreement with you. And the purpose of assembly is for that. This chapter is phenomenal to me. And I'm thinking, the more I study it and the more I read it, I'm like, where are these charismatic churches that they haven't read this? I mean it just it's not that hard if I can do it, they anybody can do it, right? It's true. I mean for you are giving thanks well enough but the other person is not edified there's your point that's in the church you have to be edifying i thank god that i speak in tongues more than you all however in the church in the church assembly i desire to speak five words with my mind so that i may instruct others also rather than ten thousand words in a tongue he's being bombastic again he's being crazy big out there in your face look it's ridiculous why speak in tongues If I could just have five words, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. I only spoke three words, and they're powerful. But if I spoke it in a tongue you didn't understand, what would be the point? Would any of you have felt that love of God? You know, in in a word of exhortation? No. Okay. So, what is 13 to 19 about? What is he saying? If you are going to speak in tongues, what must you be able to do? Yeah, you may. You pray that you may interpret. You, the body. Okay. I think that you right there is speaking about the church on the whole. Because Obviously there are two gifts. I think that if you're going to speak in tongues out loud, someone else needs to be the interpreter. I'm not saying that God can't give you both gifts, but I think on the whole usually if you're going to speak in a tongue someone else comes alongside and gives has the gift of interpretation. I do believe that often he's using this word you. One of the things he says, uh, pray that you um, let me see oh here desire. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So you can desire that you have the gift of prophecy, but does that ensure that you're going to have it? No, because God determines, right? So when he's saying you need to desire this, who is he speaking of? The church on a whole, the collective whole. He's saying you, the church, need to, to do this wanting. Um Sometimes you can, oh, yeah. good luck, Kristen. You do that for me and come back because I have heard that. I just don't know enough about Greek, so I get totally lost in it. But I have heard that the U is the plural and that it means the collective. Yeah, they in the word itself, it yeah, in the world, it right. And the other, but here's how I know because it contradicts the known doctrine if you make it you individual you pray that you have this gift but you can't pray for that gift right I'm sorry say that again Well, I don't know if there's a difference. I think he's saying, pray that you have the gift of interpretation. I don't know if it says that, does it? It just says that, pray that there be interpretation. Um, where is that? What verse is tongues pray, pray that he may interpret. Okay. Oh, he may interpret. Now that one is, he is he, the individual. Um that one could be the gift like we said earlier of the same person having both gifts and he just interprets it for him but i don't know what the point would be if there's not a person that's his target audience other than it being kind of a supernatural thing but he could have spoken in english to begin with so what's the point in speaking in another language and then make it back in our case english go back to english what would be the point if i spoke in spanish which i don't speak? and then i turned around and gave it to you in english you guys would look at me and go okay why did you do that right why did you just say that in english my children are sleeping what's the point of me saying to you to you and then turning around and giving it to in english my children are sleeping does that even make sense I really think there has to be an interpreter. And the the gifts lay out in chapter 12 teach us that there's a gift of tongues and there's a gift of interpretation, and they're different. So I would say, on the whole, the, the majority. Now, I think that sometimes Paul, for instance, on the mission field, if he's out there preaching the gospel to someone he doesn't know, he may speak in a tongue and there not be an interpretation, but not needing one either. But that's not in the assembly of the church. That's in his time of evangelism, one-on-one with someone. Does that make sense? So we just have to use a little bit of common sense, I think, in our understanding of this without trying to complicate it too much. It, it's it's what makes sense. What makes logic sense of it? I'm
1: wondering if it's not more about, if I pray in a tongue, but my spirit prays, but my mind is not Maybe it's what you're saying you understand yourself. So like,
0: yeah, and what is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. Okay. Um well, that's a, it could be. Except, your praying and your singing in church congregation would not be for just you. So it's not a, private moment with God. <laughs> this is this is in the, because the instructions are about when the whole church assemb, assembles, right? And it's been true on all of these. This is talking about division in church assembly. When we talked about the woman and the problem with the woman, the same thing comes up again. Um, let's see, is it in here? Yeah. In but verse 34, the women are to keep silent in the churches, right? Now you're back to whoops we're almost out of time but then you're back again to uh women can't talk women can't ask questions women can't whatever but they're talking about in church assembly for leadership because that's what the context set back in chapter 11. so 11 12 13 and 14 are a set and the context is in church assembly women cannot have authority position of authority yes
1: Right. To hear it. Yes.
0: Then they got to hear it. English. That's exactly it. That's exactly correct, Susan. That's exactly what the purpose, that's how it would be a correct use of it. And then he goes on later to say, and how, how many should be doing this in a, in a church assembly time? No more than two or three. And each one. Yes. In other words. You and I can't talk over each other, because if you and I are talking at the same time, nobody hears a thing, right? Yeah. Yes. And you know what's interesting? It follows that up with, with who instructions for who? The prophet. And the prophet has to, to do the same thing, right? One at a time, no more than two or three, right? And I love the way it follows it up. It says about the prophet, the prophet is subject to the prophet. So, what does that tell you about the first prophet if he speaks and gives a word from god and he's educating you all on something? The second prophet stands up and and because that prophet you listed it the other way this prophet is subject to the other prophet, right? So I get up and I give an instruction about something, and then you want to correct, so you stand up and correct because I am subject to the prophet. The two prophets keep each other in balance to make sure that one doesn't go off on a crazy something right oh but you forgot you forgot about this you forgot you can't compare apples to oranges one is one thing one is another thing don't you so that's what they that's what that says so what's interesting to me is as Paul is correcting the misuse of tongues in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, in that chapter, he also balances it with also saying, but there needs to be correction in all the, all the gifts. All the gifts need to operate in the way that they're supposed to function. They all have guidelines and rules. And what had happened, therefore, in this church, in that one particular gift of tongues, what had happened? Chaos they have a charismatic church in that in corinth in the days of paul just like we have them in our world today and operating outside of the guidelines and the purpose for the gift of tongues it's causing confusion and it's causing um an improper use of the gift the gift is true so is tongues a true gift yes is it still in use today Yes, and I know there's teaching that says otherwise, but here's what I say about that. Those two gifts, tongues and interpretations of tongues, are listed right in the same passages with teaching and the leader and uh, the exhorter and the mercy. And if those are still in, in use, then so are the others. You cannot just erase the ones you don't like and leave the rest. You can't do that. It's either all or nothing. You believe it all or you don't believe any of it. I choose to believe it all. I think that if it's written in the word of God and he gave it as instruction for the church, right? And Jesus himself affirmed that and he gave them and he says, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit and he will, the power will come upon you. And in, that con- and in that concept of the power is the gifting that will empower the church to go out and do the things that we're to do, which is to build up the body of Christ, right? And to evangelize, to bring more people into the kingdom of God. When will it end, therefore? We do it in part, but someday it's going to end. When? Say it again. Yes. When the church leaves this earth and we are with the Lord, there's no longer a church to build up, right? Now what is God going to be doing in those years, those seven years? He's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel and so it's not the church anymore so there won't be a need for those gifts anymore so when the perfect comes the imperfect is done away and I had a bunch of verses on that I wanted to share but we'll have to forego them because they were really nice verses (laughs) thank you guys it was it was good lesson interpretations was so easy we didn't even have to have a